The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. What do you do whenever you find success? Who do you think about? David, the man after God's heart, whenever he found success, first thing he thought about was God. I don't know, maybe not the very, very, very first thing, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David's life was going great. He had become king. He had uh, vanquished his enemies. He had settled in. He had, well, and I, I shouldn't say, I'm not sure it was the very, very first thing. It really was. I mean, the story of David, you see what he was thinking about was God. He had brought the ark of God into Jerusalem at the very center of his kingdom to really let people know, hey, we're going to be about God in this kingdom. That's who we're about. That's who we're here to serve. And in 2 Samuel 7, David realized, you know what? I'm living in a great house. Everything's going great for me. And he calls in the prophet Nathan. David had learned his lesson to seek God according to the rule, to seek God according to his word. So he brings in the prophet and he says, hey, this is messed up. I'm living in a house of paneled cedar and the ark of God is in a tent over there. I mean, I know that's how it's been, but seriously, that's just messed up. That shouldn't be the way it is. God's house, God's presence deserves a house as good or better than mine is kind of the thought process that David's expressing here. And Nathan says to him, um, Verse 3, go and do all that's on your mind, for Yahweh's with you. Nathan says, that sounds pretty good to me. But then God gave a word to Nathan the prophet. He said, hey, you go back to David, and you tell him, in all the years since I came up with my people out of Egypt up until now, centuries, by the way, did I ever ask for a house? You shall not build me a house. Now, I want to just interject something right here. On the one hand, um, God, God's point is, hey, I didn't tell you to build a house, so you shouldn't do it. I didn't give you that word, so that's not for you to presume. This is very similar to the story in 2 Samuel 6, where they bring up the ark, not according to God's word, in a presumptuous kind of way. And that's certainly part of the point here. I will say, when you go to 1 Kings chapter 8, which is much later, David's son Solomon is at a temple. Spoiler alert, a temple does get built. Talk more about that in a second. But in that passage, um, Solomon says that actually God said it was a good intention. It was a, a it was good that it was in David's heart to do this. So this was a good intention, a good motivation. And God acknowledges that. Hey, I appreciate where you're coming from on this, but it's not for you to do it. And I want you to listen to why, uh, or I guess it's implied, why David didn't need to build it. Part of the reason, by the way, in other scriptures we learn that David, because his life was one that was filled with war and his, man, his hands were filled with bloodshed, even, we might say, righteous bloodshed, sometimes not righteous, but uh, oftentimes righteous bloodshed where he was fighting to fight for God's cause, to fight for justice, to defend the innocent and stuff like that. God says, you're not going to be the one who's going to build my house. My house is not going to be one built by a man of war, but a man of peace. So that was it. But I want you to listen to what God says here in this moment as to why he says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not building me a house. Verse 8, so this is what you're to say to my servant David. Verse 8, he talks about bringing David out of the pasture from being a shepherd to make him a king. Verse 9, he says, I've been with you and have destroyed all your enemies. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest of the earth. Verse 10, he says, I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so they may live there and not be disturbed. Verse 11, he says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. I'm going to give you all this stuff. And then verse 12, uh, verse 11 continuing, 
the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. Do you see what God does here? Uh, He flips it around. David says, God, you've been so good to me. I need to build a house for you. And God says, no, no. I'm building a house for you. I'm the giver, God says. I'm the builder. I'm the rest provider. I'm the I'm the protector. You're not protecting me. You're not building up me. You're not taking care of me. I'm the father. You're my child. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. I'm the king. You're my subject. I will build you a great house. He, he then goes on to talk about, actually, this is really fun. This is one of many, but one of the most beautiful and, frankly, one of the most featured prophecies about the coming of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who would be a descendant of David. And through him, God would build this great house. And we'll come more to that in just a second. So there's there's two levels to look at this notion. Right? Okay, so David says, God, you've been so good to me. I need to build you a house to honor you. And God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to provide for you, not the other way around. And because remember, David's real motivation wasn't just God's been so good to me. It's kind of like, oh, God just has that tent over there. It's kind of lame. It's kind of weak. I need to do something to make things better for God. And God says, no, 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 no. I don't need you to make something better for me. Whenever the temple would actually be built in First Kings uh, around chapter 8, where the the, uh, the dedication of the temple, the benediction, the prayer and praise and preaching is given there at that moment, Solomon, David's son, no doubt partly because of David's instruction, says, God, you fill up the heavens and the highest heavens. Nothing on earth can contain you, much less this house. Okay, we know this house really doesn't do it for you. And that's part of God's point here. You're not going to take care of me. You're not going to provide for me. I'm going to build you a house. So there's just, on one level, there's a devotional lesson here in this story in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, besides the lesson of, hey, don't presume to do stuff for God. You need to wait for God's word. By the way, David does exactly what God says. He doesn't say, well, I'm building you a house anyway. God submits to God's will. No, no surprise there. We've seen that before. But there's another maybe devotional lesson that you could draw from this. And I'm going to go ahead and say it, even though I don't think it's the real point. And I'm going to tell you what I think is a bigger point and a more substantive, meaningful one here in a second. But you could say from this story, hey, there's a lesson that says you need to let God build your house. A lot of us run run around in this world trying to accomplish a lot, trying to achieve, trying to be successful, trying to be big boys and girls who take care of ourselves and provide for ourselves and we're important and we're strong and we're doing all this stuff. And a lot of times even in terms of look, look at what we're contributing, look at what we're putting out, look at what what we're producing in the world and maybe even in some way related to God. Look at the house I'm building, we might say. And God throughout many scriptures says, hey, that's not how it works. Jesus would say, don't, don't run around worrying about how you're gonna what you're gonna wear how your life god provides for the birds and the grass don't you think he's gonna provide for you let god build your house let god take care of you let god provide for you and that's a true lesson by the way and i think even a lesson you could draw from a story like this that you need to learn to trust god enough to let him build your house but i think there's something even more significant here something more existential and i don't know maybe it's not as captivating to you but i think it should be and that is uh, not a devotional lesson here about, hey, you need to trust God, let him build your house, but a gospel lesson about the real house that God is building. I mentioned a second ago that this is a passage that prophesies about the coming of Jesus. I mean, it applies, frankly, to descendants of David like Solomon, maybe even people like Hezekiah or Josiah in some you know stretched out kinds of ways later on in his lineage. Um, it gets applied to a man named Zerubbabel in, uh, in the book of Haggai, 
uh, or at least it gets alluded to with, uh, with what, what uh, Zerubbabel does in rebuilding a temple there at that time. But the fullest and truest expression of this promise of the Son of God, who would be a son of David, who would build a house that would last forever, who would reign on a throne forever and whose kingdom would last and be a kingdom of peace and goodness and all the stuff that Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11 and Jeremiah 33 and all kinds of passages and Ezekiel 36 through 39 would talk about throughout the centuries is the good news about the house that God's building through Jesus Christ. All right, so what, what is the imagery of a house? Anyways, let's stop there for a second. A house is a place that's secure. It's a place uh, of sharing. It's a place of love. It's a place of rest. Uh, it's home. It's where you belong. Now, David wanted to build a physical structure where all that could be the case for God's temple, for God's ark and God's presence among Israel. And like I said, in the days of Solomon, God had that built. And it was symbolic of the rest and the strength and the security and the love and the presence of God there and all that sort of stuff, right? But also that, that notion of a house or, or um, you know, this, this thing God would build is that of a family, not just a structure, but uh, well, I should say a, um, a structure that you would go into and occupy, but actually the structure, a relational structure of here's where people are going to live and find rest, security, wholeness, love, the very divine presence of God. There's a number of passages in the New Testament where the work of Jesus is talked about this way. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about himself that way. In John chapter 2, he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Um, stretching out from his own physical body in Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that Jesus is the cornerstone upon whom God is building his house, his dwelling place, his temple in the world. All those who come to Jesus are... Uh, like little stones, except we're people. So we're living stones that are being built up on top of Jesus and built into a spiritual house where God dwells, where all of God's good things dwell, where God's people are uh, united together and working together as his house. That's the good news, is that while we're all out here trying to do things, and some of us just try to do it on our own, right? We're trying to be good people, just like David. I want to do something good for God. And all of us run around trying to accomplish things, and I'm going to achieve this and do that, and maybe even philanthropic things, maybe even deeds of service and all kinds of stuff like that. But then you look up and you say, man, I don't feel like I got very far or accomplished very much. God says, okay, come to my house then, the house built upon Jesus Christ. Can I just say, given a special appeal, if you're watching this or if you know somebody who needs to see this, maybe you could share it with them. Um, so many people do this when it comes to being saved, being forgiven of their sins. I don't know how many times I've talked to people and they've said, yeah, I'd love to be a Christian, but you know, first I got to become a good person. And maybe they won't say it that bluntly, but that is the point. And I just got to sit there and say, what are you talking about? That's not how it works. Like That's what being a follower of Jesus, becoming a Christian, come into the house of God is all about, is you give up on trying to do it your, on your own, your own way. You give up trying to say, oh God, look what I built for you. Look how good I am. And you say, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in your grace. I'm going to build my life on Jesus Christ and on him crucified. And that's how it be made right. Actually, the very first time the gospel was ever preached, was in the city of Jerusalem at the place that was called the temple. It was a different temple than the one that David's son Solomon had built. But it was in the same region, in that temple, in that building, in that house for God. The gospel was preached. This is the first time after Jesus rose from the dead and took the throne to reign forever from heaven. 
the Apostle Peter's preaching and he's telling people about the Lord and Christ. And actually, he talks a lot about David and he talks about uh, David's life and about David's legacy. And, and of course, that would conjure up things exactly like this promise here in 2 Samuel 7. And of course, this house being an expanded version of the house that David wanted built. People would have been thinking about that. And they get to the end of the sermon, they realize, oh no, we've rejected the Savior. We've rejected our King. We've rejected the Son of David, the one that God said would rule forever and build the house for his name. And the people said this in Acts 2 and verse 37. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Now there's two interesting things here. Number one, Peter doesn't say, well, nothing. God will just decide who gets saved and who doesn't. He doesn't do that. There was something to do. But the something to do, I think, would have been far different than what the people would have imagined. He said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off, anyone whom God may call to himself. Repent and be baptized. Instead of thinking, I gotta build stuff up for God, instead of thinking, I gotta do it all, instead of thinking, I gotta fix this thing, instead of thinking, I'm the one, repent. To repent is to turn away from yourself, to turn away from the world, to turn away from thinking that you're really anything, and to trust in the grace of God, to trust in the mercy of God, to trust in the kindness of God, and say, okay, I'm not running the show anymore. I'm handing myself over to God. And actually, that's what baptism is all about as well. Baptism is the point at which someone dies to their self, Romans chapter 6, and is raised up to walk in newness of life. Uh, Baptism is the point where you're clothed no longer with your own goodness and thinking you're so special and grown up and you got, no. Galatians 3 says whenever you're being baptized, you're being clothed with Christ. Colossians chapter 2 Uh, beginning around verse 12, talks about baptism in terms of circumcision, which was a Jewish ritual before. But it says it's it's something that's spiritual and that the resurrection, the change that happens in your life is something that happens through the power of God. Do you see the point? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's radically different than do a bunch of good stuff so God will kind of be on the hook to have to forgive you. No, repent of that. Repent of that notion thing that you could you could get things right between you and God or you could build up a house that God would say, oh, that's a great place. I want to go live there. No, God said, I never asked for that. What I asked for is for you to repent. What I asked for is you to be baptized. What I asked for is you to be loyal to me and keep on following after me, walking by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. David had to learn the lesson that God is the house builder and David occupies the house according to God's terms by God's grace. We need to learn the same. The house that God built through Jesus Christ is a house that's open to all, but so many are not going to receive it because too many are unwilling to let go. Too many have to hold on to the wheel of their life, have to keep on controlling what's going to happen instead of saying, I'm going to repent. I'm going to give myself over completely to the rule of Christ. I'm going to die to my old self. As the Apostle Paul would say in Galatians 2 and verse 20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Stop trying to build the house for God to live in. Submit yourself to God and let Him keep building the house for you to dwell in. Let Him make you a part of the house that He's building so that you'll be with Him forever. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.